Welcome to today's edition of Awakened to Grace. On today's broadcast, we are talking about a very difficult subject called suffering. Now, as most of our listeners know, I lost my eyesight uh, right at a year ago. I've been blind for nearly a year. And so when we talk today about the biblical idea of suffering, not only am I going to share with you my perspective of what the Bible teaches and what Scripture says concerning the sufferings of this life, but I'm also talking from a very personal standpoint. So I hope that if you are someone who you have experienced suffering or perhaps you're walking right now through a season of suffering, I hope today's broadcast uh, helps you in a great way. I'm glad you're listening to today's edition of Awakened Radio. All right, we're going to be today in a number of different scriptures. Uh, I won't have you turn to all of them, but I'm going to reference quite a number of scriptures. But our main text today is going to be 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 10. I have a very difficult subject for me, in, in my opinion. It is a delicate subject, a sensitive subject. It is one that requires incredible balance, an incredibly balanced biblical view. It is so easy to get out of balance on either side of this topic. And of all the series that we, and all the subjects that we've covered, uh, all the topics of this series so far in the months of June and July, I feel as though the one we're tackling today is the most difficult, it is the most controversial, it's the most challenging to live. It's the hardest to get right with the Bible. Today we're going to talk about unhurried suffering. Unhurried suffering. Now, I'm going to go slow today, and I'm going to be careful in the words that I use. Because as I said, this is a subject that you can get out of balance on very quickly. And my goal today is to do exactly what the Bible commands me to do as a pastor, what it commands us to do as Christ followers, and that is to rightly handle the word of truth. When the Bible says, rightly divide the word, that literally means to rightly handle it, to rightly interpret it, to rightly uh, view it, to have the right lens, the right perspective, the right view of what, it, what it's teaching, the right application into our life. And when it comes to the idea of suffering, a believer must be very, very careful to have the right biblical view. And like all of the sermons that I preach from this pulpit, my chief aim, my greatest goal is to present and help shape a biblical worldview in you that like Paul said in Colossians 1, I may present you mature in Christ. Colossians 1, 28. That's the goal. 
And so today when I talk about suffering, I understand that many of you are walking through a season of suffering right now just as I am. And while suffering may, degree, may, may vary in, in different degrees, there may be various degrees of suffering, just as in James chapter 1, verse 2, there are various trials that we face. So it is there are various sufferings, various degrees of suffering. But nonetheless, you and I can have the biblical view of what suffering is. Now, if we are going to attempt to understand the biblical view of suffering, and we're going to do that through two primary scriptures today, number one, 2 Corinthians 12.10, number two, 2 Corinthians 4.17. Those are the only two points for today. But if you and I are going to understand the biblical view of suffering and its purposes and its meaning then I first have to take off the table what I do not mean by biblical suffering. And here's the controversial part. And I'll do my best to explain to you my position and my view based upon what I see in the Bible. When I say suffering today, I do not mean sickness. I do not mean as in God has put a sickness up on someone, and so therefore they are to suffer through it. That's not what I mean, because I don't believe that's what the entirety of Scripture teaches. Now, does Scripture teach that Christians get sick? Oh, yes. If you're battling a sickness today, that doesn't mean you're a sinful Christian. That does not mean you've angered the Lord. That does not mean that God has put something on you to teach you some great lesson. No, I I don't have that view of Scripture, and I want to explain to you why. I, I don't want this sermon to become a sermon on healing because that's a completely different subject, but I have to make a distinction between sickness and biblical suffering because I believe the Bible makes the distinction and let me prove it to you number one if you and I are going to have the biblical view the right view of sickness we have to have the biblical view of where does sickness come from it's been well said sickness is the first cousin to sin sickness has come into our world today because sin has come into the world And what you and I must have the biblical view of is that we as human beings, us as mankind, we are made of two parts. The one part is made of physical. That is our body. That's our physical, mortal flesh and blood. But then we are also spirit made in the very image of God. That's why when your flesh dies... One day when your body does betray you and you die a physical death, your soul will never die because it's your soul that's made in the eternal image of the Almighty. So what sin is to the soul, sickness is to the body. Now the question for believers is what has Christ redeemed us from? Psalm 103, verse 1 and 2, tells us the answer. David said, bless the Lord, O my soul. Hallelujah. (laughs) And all that is within me, 
Bless his holy name. Forget not all of his benefits. Who forgives all our iniquities. That's the soul. And who heals all of our diseases. That's our body. Redemption covers both. Now, does that mean Christians don't get sick? We absolutely do. And so what does the Bible tell us? The Bible instructs us in what to do. James chapter 5, verses 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, those wonderful verses. The Bible says that if any among you are suffering, and this gets down to the heart of what I'm trying to say today, the Bible says if any among you suffer, but that's, that Greek word is not sickness. It means calamity of any kind. Do any of you face a calamity of any situation? If any among you suffer, if any among you face a calamity, then let him pray. Is any among you cheerful? Let him sing. Is any among you sick? And there it is. Is any among the body sick? Is any among the body fighting disease? If any among the body is sick, why? Because we live in a very fallen world, because we still live in these fallen natures, this fallen body. And so if any among you are sick, then what? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them anoint him with oil and pray the prayer of faith, and that will save him. See, there's instruction given for those times when sickness comes. But is sickness part of biblical suffering? I don't think so. I don't think that God puts sickness on his people. Now, do his people get sick? Yes. But does God put sickness on? Let me tell you the number one biblical reason why I don't believe that happens. The number one reason. Because the Bible teaches clearly Jesus bore our sin And he carried away our sickness. Now, why would God put on you what Jesus bore and carried away? Do you understand what I'm saying? Am I saying that Christians don't get sick? No, don't misunderstand me. But I'm saying when we do, there is a biblical remedy. God uses doctors, God uses medications. God uses treatments. God uses all those things. But listen, healing comes from the hand of God, our creator. So today, if you're facing a sickness, know that there is biblical instruction for you. Know that there is a biblical path for you. By his stripes, we are healed. Amen? And I've had... Uh, precious brothers who would say, oh, but that's spiritual. You will not find a case in the Gospels where Jesus resigned a person to their illness. Did you know that? It's not there. You will not find a place where Jesus came to heal someone and said, you know, It's really the will of God that you stay right there. He never did. By contrast, it says he went about doing good, healing all 
who were oppressed by the devil. So in my view, in my interpretation of the Bible, healing is part of salvation. You know, in Jesus' day, people could believe more so in the physical healing of bodies than they could in the forgiveness of sins. Jesus would heal someone and say, your sins are forgiven you. And they would go, well, we see the healing and we accept the healing, but how can he forgive sin? You know, in our day, it's absolutely reversed. People believe readily in the salvation of their sins, but people believe very small in the healing of our bodies. Do you understand what I'm saying today? And I believe that the Bible teaches both, not either or, but both. So now I turn your attention to First Corinthians, uh, I'm sorry, Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10. So while we discuss today the issue of suffering, uh, I do not include sickness into that. I think when Satan attacks our bodies, when the natural effects of living in a fallen world attacks our bodies, I think we look to the grace of God. We look to the healing of Christ. We look to the examples uh, that are in the Bible, and we believe God to touch our bodies and to help us. Amen? Now, let's understand suffering in the biblical way. Now, before we read 2 Corinthians 12, let me just, for just a moment, dissect James chapter 1, uh, because I think that is very crucial to understanding the way you and I are to view the sufferings of our life. The Bible says in James chapter 1, verse 2, my beloved brothers, count it all joy, <laughs> count it all joy when you encounter trials of various kinds, knowing that the trying of your faith produces steadfastness, endurance, patience, so on and so forth. Now, understand what this verse means. When it says, count it all joy, that word count literally means to evaluate, it literally means a, fin it is a financial term in the Greek. Just like, you would get, just like you would take a ledger and you would count up your bills or you would count up your savings or you would count up your income, you would, you would take a ledger and you would evaluate and you would begin to count it. It's saying, evaluate your life, evaluate where you are right now, evaluate what God is allowing in your life, and count everything as joy. So to get really personal, what the Bible's telling me right now is saying, Chad, take this season of blindness, take this incredible difficulty, take this incredible loss, and this is what I want you to do. I want you to count it as joy. Wow. Count it as joy. How do I do this? How do I reconcile what God is doing 
and what Satan is doing? How do I know if I'm suffering at the hand of God or if I'm suffering at the hand of Satan? How do I know the difference? That's the premise of today's talk. And that's why I think Satan's fought this message so hard. Because if you and I can distinguish, if you and I can recognize, if you and I can reconcile the difference between what God has appointed and what Satan is trying to do, then we'll know how to respond rightly. And by today at the end, I'm going to show you, based out of the book of James, how you can distinguish between the two and how you can respond rightly. So it says, count it all joy. Evaluate. Uh, financial term, calculate. That's literally what it means is calculate what God is doing. That reminds me of Ecclesiastes 7, verse 13 and 14. Consider the work of God. Consider what God's doing in your life. The same God who made the day of prosperity is the same God who creates the day of adversity. They are the same. You know what that tells me? That tells me my days may change, but God doesn't. My season of life may change, but God doesn't. And that's why I can look directly to the hand. I can look directly to the goodness. I can look directly to the grace and the strength and the power and the might, and the might of God. Because while my circumstances change all the time and my days change all the time, God doesn't. He's consistent. Consider the work of God. Calculate what God is doing. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter. Now, I love this word encounter because it means a scheduled appointment. Where I'm unable to see right now, my schedules change. I can't keep a calendar like I used to. I can't write appointments down like I used to. So now I'm so dependent upon my little Google device. So... Uh, a brother called, I'm on a board of another ministry, and they called yesterday, and we have a board meeting uh, Friday at 2 o'clock out of town. As soon as, I made, as soon as I got off the phone, I had to say, okay, Google, add to my calendar. Then she says, what would you like to add? Board meeting. What day? Friday. What time? 2 p.m. Got it. Board meeting. Friday, 2 p.m. Would you like to save it? Yes. That's how I do my calendar. <laughs> And now I'm able to go through and say, okay, Google, what's on my calendar Wednesday? Okay, Google, what's on my calendar Thursday? Okay, Google, what's on my calendar Friday? And it's able to keep my scheduled appointments that way, and it tells me so I can keep track of who I'm meeting with and what time the meetings are and so on and so forth. And this is the exact kind of language that the Bible uses when it says, do you not know that the trials that you face in life, they're not mishaps, they're not miscues, it's not God being cruel to you. It's not God just playing with your emotions. No, my friend, they are scheduled appointments. Our trials are not only allowed by God, but they are appointed by God. And if that is the case, then my friend, do you not think God knows precisely what he's doing in your life? That he doesn't know where you are right now and what you're facing? Oh, yes, he does, because, my friend, he scheduled the trial. 
And let me tell you what it tells me in my circumstance right now. The Bible, listen, if the Bible so tells me, Chad, this is a scheduled trial for you. Chad, this is a scheduled season. It's on your God divine calendar. This is what God has already scheduled. Then that tells me there's an ending to it. Hallelujah. And what does God want for me to count it as all joy? Why? Because I have confidence. God's not picking on me. God's not messing with me. God certainly has not abandoned me. He has me right on time, right on schedule. And so he has your life on time. And he has your life on schedule. And that's why Peter says, Beloved, don't think it strange concerning the fiery trials that you're encountering. Don't think those things strange. Because God has you right on time, right on schedule. And then he says, when you encounter various trials. Oh, I love that word. How many of you ever faced various trials? One thing goes wrong, and then another thing goes wrong. And then another thing goes wrong. Ever been in one of those? Count it all joy. Count it all joy. Count it all joy. Amen? Because God has you right where he wants you. And God's going to help you. Let me prove it to you. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10. <clears throat> now beginning in verse 8 and verse 9. Paul is explaining that God has given him a thorn in the side. I find that fascinating. <clears throat> I don't, uh, my goodness, to be able to say I've been given, I've been given something. <laughs> I think I would have used the word I've been struck by <laughs> I've been overtaken by, I've been assaulted by, I've been attacked by. But no, Paul says, I've been given. Point number one today, point number one, suffering is an invitation to the power of Christ. Suffering is an invitation to the power of Christ. Notice what Paul says. I've been giving a thorn in the side, a messenger from Satan because of the surpassing knowledge and that I wouldn't grow conceited. And he goes on and explains there. But then notice what he says. When he prayed, he actually says he pleaded with the Lord three times to remove it. And the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you. Now, no, notice... Notice what he says here. This is so beautiful. It's in our weakness that God's power is made evident. And watch what he says, verse 10. So for the sake of Christ then, not for my comfort, notice that. He doesn't say for my comfort, for my pleasure, for my luxury, for my convenience, for my happiness, no, not even in the equation. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content. And look what he says. 
with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. Now, you know as well as I do, you don't hear that kind of language from pulpits anymore, do you? You don't hear pastors preach about the cup of suffering that we sometimes have to endure. While I certainly think God desires to bless our life and God does bless our life and the Bible teaches that all good things come from above and I believe that. There is also the biblical truth that Christians in this life will suffer. And my question for us today is how do we know when the suffering is from God and when the suffering is from the enemy? How do we know what to accept and what to rebuke? How do we know what to endure and what to abandon? How do we know? Well, I think you and I have to have a careful, balanced, biblical view. And when we have that biblical view, we'll know how to respond. In other words, we'll know what to accept, we'll know what to rebuke. We'll know what to endure and carry our cross through and what to change in our life and walk away from and abandon. Does that make sense to you today? And I'm going to show you with clarity how you can know the difference between the two that you can respond rightly. Now, in this case, Paul is talking about suffering, and notice how he defines suffering. He defines suffering as weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. That's how he defines sufferings. And then I want you to notice what he says. I am content with these things. Uh, That's a statement of incredible magnitude just right there. I am content with these things. Why? Because notice what he says. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, isn't that an incredible statement? For when I am weak then I am strong. He's saying I can be content with these things because that's not what brings me pleasure in life. That's not what brings me joy in life. That's not what brings me happiness in life. What brings me the greatest satisfaction is that Christ is made strong through me. Therefore, I'm content with whatever hardship I face, whatever insult I face, whatever calamity comes my way. I'm content. Why? Because my joy is found in Christ and his power through me. Now, if you mark in your Bible, I would encourage you to circle the words when and then. When I am weak, then I am made strong. Because there's a beautiful link, a biblical link here. See, I used to view this, I thought this came in different segments. Like I thought, okay, I might go through a season where I feel very weak, but then then the Lord helps me and now I feel very strong. And then there may be another time where I feel so weak and and, and then God will come and help me and then I may begin to feel strong again. But I don't, that's not the, that's not the link here. Do you know what Paul is saying here? 
This is concurrent. This is happening at the exact same time. Paul is saying, when I am weak, because I recognize why I suffer, I recognize why I face hardships in life, why calamities come, when I'm weak, then that's when I'm strong because of the strength that Christ brings. It's not two different seasons. It's not two different times. They're happening together at the exact same time in concurrent with one another. When I am weak, then I am strong. The then is happening when the when is happening. And they're together. Amen? Do you accept that into your life? Can you receive that into your life? Can you say, yes, when I am weak, then I am made strong. See, Paul said something remarkable in Philippians. He said that I might know you in the power of your resurrection. Most Christians today would say, sign me up. Praise God. That's exactly what I'm looking for. That's, that's what I want, the power of Christ's resurrection inside me. Yes, but don't miss the next phrase. And in the fellowship of his suffering. In our culture today, we know nothing of this, do we? Because I don't have to belabor the point, but you know as well as I know, we will spend our last dime to make ourselves comfortable. Not only will we spend our last dime, we'll go into great debt to make our lives pleasing and comfortable and joyful. What would happen if you and I flipped that view and said, life is not about me being comfortable. Life is not about me being happy. One of the greatest lies that, that Satan is telling Christians today is God just wants you happy. And that is a lie. That is a lie. God wants you blessed. And that's a whole different level of happiness. My little two-year-old right now is in the worst terrible twos that I've ever seen any kid be in. It is awful, awful. And if I just want my little boy happy, what am I going to do? I'm going to ruin him for life. Then the rest of y'all are going to have to live around him, right? (laughs) You ever heard that saying, please raise your kids right, because the rest of us have to live with them. If all I wanted to do was make him happy, I would ruin him. No, I want him to be mature. I want him to grow out of this. I want him to be responsible. I want him to be a pleasant person, not someone who all he wants is his own happiness. That will ruin him. And for you to believe the lie that God just wants you happy, oh, my friend, that will ruin you. And Satan knows it. No, God will take you through seasons of suffering. Why? So that the power of Christ may rest upon you. And see, I find that interesting. Paul says that here in 2 Corinthians 12, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Now, what is this power? 
See, right now, I look at my situation of blindness. And I not only believe, I know in my heart, I know, I know that God could change my circumstance like this. Oh, he could change it. Just one word. God could say, enough, and my eyes would open. I was listening last night to the book of Acts and where Paul uh, was blind for three days after his conversion and Ananias came and laid hands on him. And the Bible says that when he said, Brother Saul, the same Christ had appeared to you on the road to Damascus and shone a bright light as the same Christ who sent me to you. And when he laid his hands on him, the Bible says that something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. And I'm telling you, when I heard that, I mean, faith just hit my heart. And I said, oh, God, let me regain my sight. Amen. You did it for Saul. Let me regain it. Amen. And I know with my whole heart that in just a moment, in just an instant, with one word, God could just change this. Just like that. But what is his power? What's this power of Christ resting upon me? Could it be that more so than God showing his power for now, rather than God showing his power through the physical healing, that God wants to change so much about me and his power at work within me? Could that be the case? See, what you don't know Because you can't know. You don't know the things, the areas that God's working in me that I don't tell anyone. Because they're only between me and the Lord. You can't see those things. I can't see them in you. You certainly can't see them in me. But could it be that before God wants to change my circumstance, that his power is going to truly change me? I think that's what Paul means by the power of Christ resting upon me. The power to not circumvent and go around the hardships of life. But the grace and the power to go straight through them. Do you understand what I'm saying today? My grace is sufficient suffering insults calamities hardships persecutions weaknesses i love that paul says i'll boast in my weakness charles haddon spurgeon that great preacher of the 1800s he so masterfully said you know one of the only things that god doesn't have is weakness (laughs) and that's why he wants ours And when we bring our frailty and we bring our weakness and we present it to the Lord, then that's when Christ is made strong in us. So I'm content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. Why am I content? For the sake of Christ, that he might be glorified in me. Number two today, not only does suffering invite the power of Christ into our life, 
it's the when and the then working together. When I am made weak, then I am made strong. But number two, suffering prepares us for eternity. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. Paul calls his afflictions light and momentary. <laughs> now this is difficult. Light and momentary. I don't think it's wise for you to call someone else's afflictions light and momentary, but can you call yours light and and momentary. When you and I face hardships or we face calamities, when you and I walk through seasons of suffering, is, are those the terms that you and I would use for our season of suffering? Light and momentary? See, this is the right biblical view of suffering. And if you can gain this, my friend, you will have a unique opportunity to glorify God unlike any other opportunity that comes along in your life. Light and momentary. Why is it light and momentary? Because look at the next phrase. He says, this, this prepares us for an eternal weight of glory. An eternal weight of glory. What's he saying? He's saying compared to eternity, what I'm facing in life, it's light and it's momentary. The days of suffering I face is nothing compared to eternity. Not only is it light compared to the weight, it's momentary compared to the length of time. Amen? So the current circumstance you're in or the next trial that you face or the next calamity that you encounter. Can you call it light and momentary compared to what God's preparing you for? Could it be that these little boxes of 24 hours a day that each of us are given are but moments of preparation for an entire eternity? Think about that. You say, Chad, what's the point? Hear me. Here's my point today. My point is, is that the suffering that you face in life is not meaningless. It is not a waste. God is not being cruel to you. God is not picking on you. God has not abandoned you. You must see the sufferings of your life not as why is God doing this, but no, there is purpose behind it and God is preparing me for an entire weight of glory for all of eternity. That's the point of my suffering. So yes, I can become content with hardship. Yes, I can become content with persecution. I can become content with insults or with calamity. Or I can be content with my weaknesses because I've learned that when I am weak, then I am made strong. Why? Because these light and these momentary afflictions are indeed preparing me for an eternal weight of glory for all of eternity. Our sufferings are not pointless. 
They're not meaningless. They're preparing you. They're preparing me. Now, to close today and to answer my original question, if I'm to have the biblical view of suffering and if I'm to recognize what is of God and what is of Satan, then how do I know who's doing what? How do I know when to glorify God and when to rebuke the devil? Because <laughs> you know churches will mess you up, right? Churches will tell you all kinds of stuff. When we had our parking lot done uh, a couple years, or last year, I guess it was, uh, you know, we'd bring all these paving companies in. They'd all tell us something different. And they're all the experts. And one would say, you need to do this. And the other say, if you do that, you'll mess it up. Well, who do you believe? Same way when we did our carpet. I had brought five different carpet companies in here. And one would say, if you... You know, this is the right way. The other would say, well, you do that, you'll mess everything up. Churches are no different. One says do this, one says that. One will say, hold on. The other say, let go. <laughs> one will say, be filled. The other say, get empty. It's like, well, what, which do I do? Right? Churches will, they tell you all kinds of things. That's why you can't stick with churches. You got to stick with the Bible, my friends. What does the word say? What does the word teach? Well, when it comes to this fellowship of sufferings, when it comes to taking up your cross and following Jesus, when it comes to being made weak, that Christ in you may be made strong, when it comes to viewing these light and momentary afflictions that are preparing us for an eternal weight of glory, when it comes to the understanding of these things, we have to look first and only at the Bible. So how do I know what is of God and what is of Satan? How do I know what to accept and how do I know what to rebuke? Go to James chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. Let me tell you what I'm learning in my suffering. For me, for, for my life, this is the balance. Do I believe that God has struck me with blindness? No, I don't believe that. Do I believe that the enemy is trying to steal, kill, and destroy? Yeah, I do. See, when I, when I look at my circumstance, I have to say... What is Satan's agenda for me? What would Satan love for me to do this morning? He'd love for me to give up. He'd love for me to quit. He'd love for me to resign. Wouldn't he love for me to resign my pulpit? Wouldn't he love it? Wouldn't he glory in that? Wouldn't he love for me to grow discouraged and fall into a deep depression? Wouldn't he love that? I have to resist that. What would God have me do? Would God not so want to chisel the inside of me that nobody sees? That's so private and so hidden and so closed off that only God himself can know. And as David said, shine your light 
Examine my ways. See if there be any wickedness inside me. Would God not love for me to persevere and to say even in times that I'm weak, as weak as I feel this morning, Christ is made strong in me? Would God not love for me to say, even though it's uncomfortable, even though at times it's embarrassing, even though at times I mess up, even though at times I bump into people, even though at times I can't even find my way to this platform, but for the sake of Christ, I'll be content with my weaknesses. How do you know what to accept? How do you know what to rebuke? How do you know what God's doing? How do you know what Satan's doing? James chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. The Bible says that God opposes the proud. God opposes proud people. Today, if you have pride in your life, that is nothing to play with. You need to ask God to show you all the pride in your life, and you need to repent from that. Pride is to us what fish is to a, what water is to a fish. A fish doesn't know it's wet because the only thing it knows is water. And often we don't know how prideful we are because it's all we've ever known. And when God shows you the pride in your life, then you can deal with it. He says he opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He gives more grace to the humble. And then it teaches, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God and resist the devil and he will flee from you. Praise God. You know what I'm finding is the balance for me? I know Satan is trying to steal, kill, and destroy. I know, I know he wants to oppose me and stop me and hinder me and shut my ministry down. I know that's what he wants. But do you know what I'm learning to do, my friends? Is look past him straight to the hand of God. And see, while I don't believe God has done this to me, that's why I believe that I can rebuke sickness. That's why I believe that I can believe what Jesus said. He went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed of the devil. And Jesus, and the Bible says that Jesus came, 1 John chapter 5, to destroy the works of the devil. So while I don't believe that God is putting this on me and enjoying this and being cruel to me, yes, I believe I can see Satan's hand in this. I can feel the opposition. I can feel the warfare. I can feel what is at stake, and I am to resist him. But let me tell you what I'm also to do, to submit myself under the mighty hand of God and say, God, if you have deemed this season good for me, then I'll pick up my cross and I'll walk through it. If you want me to feel the limitations, if you want me to feel the weakness, if you want me to feel the calamity, then I will pick up my cross and I will follow you. And I'll resist the devil every step of the way. To me, that's the balance. Resist the devil but submit under the mighty hand of God. 
See, I don't know how long, I don't know what, I, I can't give you any of those answers as I said last week. I don't know all of that. But here's what I do know. Is that Satan is on a very short leash. And that leash is called God's sovereignty. And he can only go so far in my life, in your life. It's a short leash, and it's called God's sovereignty. And I believe what Alan Redpath said in the early 1900s, he said, whatever comes into my life has first had to go through the throne of God and met his approval for me. So this is why I believe in my season of suffering and in your season of suffering, God has the ability to work all things, the good, the bad, the ugly, to work all things together for our good. Amen? And when I realize that God can work all things together, blindness and limitations and hardships and calamities and weaknesses and insults and persecutions. And when God can work all those things together for my good, well, then I can count them as all joy. I can calculate it up and go, oh, no, I know what God's doing. God has me right on schedule. God has me in an encountered trial. God has me in various trials that I have a scheduled appointment because God's working his good in me. And the power of Christ is resting upon me. That when I am weak, then I'm being made strong let's stand today are you in a season of suffering are you in a place of calamity has Satan come to you and said why would God who loves you do this My friend, just because God loves you does not mean you will not have to drink from the cup of suffering. Today, if you're in a season of suffering, you're facing hardship, you're facing insults, you're facing calamity, I want to invite us to come to this altar today and to seek the Lord. Why don't you slip out of your seat? And why don't you go home different than how you walked into the building? And say, God, I'm going to walk this road. Though it's marked with suffering. I'm going to walk this road and I'm going to carry my cross. I'm going to stop complaining. I'm going to stop doubting. And I'm going to begin to let your power work in me. Maybe all you've asked is for God to change your circumstance. And maybe today for the first time, you'll say, God, change me. Change me. Change me. Come and pray if you need to pray today.
Help us today, Lord. Help us today. Help us today. Help us to see calamity through your eyes. Hardships through your eyes. Light and momentary. Maybe Satan's lying to you and saying, God's never going to deliver you. God's never going to help you. He's never going to work this out. You tell the devil today, this is light and this is momentary in Jesus' name. Light and momentary. Lord, let your power rest on us today. Let your power rest upon us in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Help us, Lord. Help us. If you need to pray, I want you to come right now. Come. Kneel before the Lord. Set before Him. Stand before Him. And say, God, I give you the circumstances of my life. I'm sorry I've complained. I'm sorry my lack of faith. Increase my faith today. Give me greater faith today, Lord. Greater faith that what you're allowing, you've appointed for such a time, for such a purpose. I put my faith in you. I put my faith in you. Unhurried sufferings. Unhurried afflictions. We wait for you, Lord. We wait. We wait. And like the psalmist said, we will wait all the day long. Lord, it's our pleasure to wait on you. It's our joy to wait on you. It is our highest joy that you would change us from the inside out. It is our pleasure, God, that you would work deep inside our souls remove sin and remove anxiousness remove stubbornness remove pride remove the need to always be comfortable to always feel pleasure to always feel satisfied and instead say for the sake of Christ then I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then, and only then, I am made strong. So God, today we give you our weaknesses. We give you our vulnerabilities. We give you our frailty. We give you our limitations. We give you, God, our, our, our limited understanding and, and all that comes with that, Lord. We give all of that to you, and we ask in exchange you would give us grace. Grace that's sufficient. Grace that is sufficient. Grace that will carry us. Grace that will sustain us. Grace that empowers us. Grace that strengthens us. Hallelujah. 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 Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. 
Thank you for your working in us. Thank you that it's deep and it's rich and it's full (laughs) and it will come to completion in Jesus' name.